0: Welcome to the Big Church Van Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Reynolds, and this is episode one. Today, we're going to be traveling back to the year 2000 to talk about the massively popular city on a hill song, God of Wonders, and its impact on modern worship. My guest today is Carissa Motley. She is a writer, professor, musician, and seasoned worship leader in her own right. The two of us have a lot to get through about all things relating to worship music and the prominence of the acoustic guitar in the late 90s and early 2000s. Plus, we're gonna be counting down our top 10 favorite acoustic driven worship songs. It's a list you won't want to miss. All this and more coming up on this episode of the Big Church Van Podcast. Let's start here. To begin with, and something you should probably know about me, is that I have a very complicated relationship with school, Uh, let's call it the American public school education experience. For a lot of reasons, reasons we don't need to get into on this episode, the decision was made by my parents to homeschool me and my five sisters throughout most of our childhoods. I'm often asked about this by well-meaning parents who are considering homeschooling their own kids, and I will typically avoid that question. The reason for this is that for the most part, I do not believe that my own homeschooling experience is a good representation of what homeschooling could or really should be. Uh, My family was definitely not the homeschool family that prioritized education. We never won any prestigious spelling bees or geography bees or anything like that. I suppose we were more akin to those homeschool circles out on the fringes, the ones who believed that dinosaur bones were hidden by the devil in layers of rock sediment in order to trick people into believing in evolution. And so for those reasons, should you reach out to me, ask me about my own homeschooling experience and how that might impact your own decision-making process as far as your own kids are concerned, I will decline to answer and advise, seek counsel elsewhere. Now, as a result of this decision to indefinitely homeschool us through, I guess, our formative years, the only frame of reference that I have for what a traditional public education journey might look like is through the lens of all of the coming-of-age films I've seen throughout the years. So, in uh, my mind and to my understanding after school detention looks like the breakfast club high school football looks like friday night lights relationships look like 10 things i hate about you Cliques are represented in mean girls and i really hope that friendship is the dynamic between jonah hill and michael Sarah in the movie super bad and though my wife a wonderful middle school science teacher has tried many times to correct my romanticized notions of school i refuse to believe her. I prefer to have my truth come through the gospel according to Judd Apatow and John Hughes. Now, truth be told, for a brief moment in time, I actually did attend a small Catholic school from kindergarten through second grade. And we are gonna begin with a story from that time. It takes place in 1985 um, on a cold December night, a group of parents and students had gathered in the basement of St. Aloysius Church. Shout out to St. Al, the patron saint of students, as it turns out. We were about to begin our annual Christmas concert. Now, as I recall, each grade was given two songs apiece to perform that night, and each grade was assigned a holiday-themed costume to appear in. My second grade class were dressed as elves. Instructions had been sent home to my mother. She would need two pillowcases, each of them dyed the darkest shade of green possible. Uh, One would have holes cut out for uh, each of my arms and head to fit through good luck with that mom. I still have a big head to this day. And the second pillowcase would have a triangular piece cut out and that would be a hat for their student. For weeks leading up to the concert, our second grade class had met on stage at the end of the basement cafeteria where we rehearsed two Christmas classics. I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus and the Chipmunk Christmas Song, otherwise known as Christmas Don't Be Late. Now, I don't know Of a more perfect marriage of two songs that could have elicited more unnecessary giggling for a group of squirrely second graders to struggle through and unduly frustrate our aging music teacher sister mary rita certainly no two songs that i can think of even now so as showtime arrived and i pulled on the baggy green pillowcase over my small frame and was ready to take the stage the basement cafeteria Was packed. And as if somehow foreshadowed by our weekly shenanigans, the parents in the crowd roared with delightful laughter as their brood of Catholic elves sang out in our squeakiest chipmunk voices, Please, Christmas, don't be late. The remaining classrooms that followed our performance did not stand a chance, and how could they? And then, as the concert drew to a close, all grades gathered on stage for a final number. Uh, In each of our hands we held a plastic flashlight with either a piece of red or green tissue paper fastened over the lens with a rubber band. We had been given strict instructions on the precise moment when we would turn on those beams and point them at the ceiling. And that precise moment was this chorus. That of course was 1985's We Are the World, a collaboration by the group known as USA for Africa, the brainchild of renowned world hunger activist, Bob Geldof, produced by the legendary Quincy Jones and featuring the voices of Michael Jackson, Kenny Rogers, Bruce Springsteen, Cyndi Lauper, and as of this recording, the late Tina Turner, just to name a few. The project was a charitable effort to raise funding and bring awareness to the famine crisis in Ethiopia. Equally iconic to this unprecedented recording was the accompanying music video that spent months in regular rotation during what many would argue was the height of MTV's programming. Anyone my age surely remembers the images of the most impressive gathering of vocalists in a recording studio stepping toward and away from large condenser microphones to sing out their contribution to this now legendary song. But We Are The World was not just a song. It was an event, it was a movement, and the template for future charitable collectives to model. And, not to be outdone by USA for Africa, the elementary students who had gathered in the basement of St. Aloysius that night, raised our voices and our flashlights high, uniting with this global voice and declaring, we are the world, we are the children. (laughs) So it was around the fourth or fifth time singing through this chorus that I looked over and I saw Steve, another elf in a pillowcase, holding his flashlight directly beneath his chin emulating the face of a glowing skull. It was similar to how my father had held a flashlight up to his face as we sat around a campfire captivated by his ghost stories and, as you might imagine, Steve's spark lit a fire. Among the choir of elementary students, and soon a wave of glowing faces began to spread across every grade of harmonious carolers dressed as elves, angels, reindeer, and snowmen. Some parents watched in horror, others in disbelief, and still others, probably those cool bachelor uncles who answered to no one, were cackling at the sight of a couple of hundred flaming skulls singing, We are the world. I did not return to school that next year, and by all accounts, neither did Sister Mary Rita. I'd like to imagine she transferred to another parish in another town far, far away, and never again made the mistake of handing out 200 flashlights to a bunch of elementary school students standing on stage for the remainder of her years. I apologize for the gratuitous overusage of that clip. I could not resist the comedic timing, but it will not happen again for the remainder of this episode. Of course, We Are The World and USA For Africa are not the only examples of high profile musicians raising awareness for a charitable cause. Just one year prior, another Bob Geldof project, this time based out of the UK, featuring the likes of Bono, George Michael and Sting, among others, and forming under the name Band-Aid, recorded their own global anthem titled, Do They Know It's Christmas After All? In the years that followed and due to the cyclical nature of global tragedy, there has been no shortage of collaborative gatherings of high profile musicians, raising awareness and funds where it is needed most. Among these, of course, include my personal favorite, the 1986 group known as and Aid, founded by metal vocalist extraordinaire Ronnie James Dio and featuring the very best of what the mid 1980s metal scene had to offer. And then there is my least favorite, the 25th anniversary edition of We Are The World, also featuring the very best of what 2010 had to offer. Come on! Choices were definitely made for that arrangement, including Oscar winning actor Jamie Foxx performing the iconic Ray Charles vocal parts in character as Ray Charles. None of this has aged particularly well or risen to the status of cultural moment, as did the original incarnation in 1985, and that is why it is the standard to which all others aspire. And that is why, to this day, whenever a group of high profile musicians gather to collaborate, one can't help but draw comparisons to 1985's we are the world i have to do it you know i have to do it i am so sorry That is the last time that we will pull from that cut. We will not be hearing from USA for Africa for the remainder of this episode. Here on the Big Church Fan Podcast, we like to take a look back at moments within evangelical culture that have often paralleled mainstream pop culture throughout the years. And of course, within the contemporary Christian music scene, there have been multiple group projects that have echoed the influence of that We Are The World moment. That is the jaw-dropping voice of Lee Nash, lead vocalist for the band Sixpence None the Richer. Even if you hadn't heard of Sixpence, chances are good that if you were coming of age in the 90s, you're probably familiar with this song and maybe even this scene from the 1999 Freddie Prince Jr. romantic comedy She's All That. May I present the new, not improved, but different, Laney Boggs. Swing, swing, swing the spinning step you wear those shoes and I wear, I wear that dress, oh, kiss me. That's a pretty significant occasion, actually. Uh, in 1999 and even today, it's a pretty difficult thing to get a song that was on a Christian label featured on the radio, much less on a popular film. And shout out to Steve Taylor for working tirelessly to get that song on the air. Shout out to Matt Slocum for writing such a beautiful chord progression. I I guess shout out to George Harrison for influencing that major one, major seventh, dominant seventh chord progression. Shout out to accordion solos because as melodic, romantic accordion solos go, I think this is kind of among the very best of them. Uh, Shout out to hopeless romantics like myself who heard this song for the first time and spent most of their 20s in search of moonlit nights and broken tree houses to set the scene for a magical shared kiss. But Most of all, shout out to this album. If you have not listened to the self-titled Sixpence None the Richer album in its entirety, it is a darkly beautiful journey from the first track to the last. Go ahead and do it. As soon as this podcast is over, and we hope you will listen to it in its entirety, please go listen to the self-titled Sixpence None the Richer album. It's incredible. Uh, While most of the world knew Lee Nash as the irresistible voice of Kiss Me, I knew her as that melancholy soul who sang lines like this. This
1: is my 45th depressing tune.
0: So you can imagine, to some degree, the somewhat jarring nature of her appearance on a Worship Collaboration album, particularly as the opening voice that spoke into existence The song we're going to look at today on the Big Church Fan Podcast 2000's God of Wonders. So if you're of a certain age and you grew up in the church, like I did, uh, names like jars of clay, third day, Cabin's Call, Jennifer Knapp, Bebo Norman, uh, are just a few among many who made up a collective known as city on a hill, city on a hill. Uh, that is not just a Ronald Reagan quote. That is actually a reference from Matthew chapter five, verse 14. Uh, the concept of collaborating, uh, according to the album's creators was not just like a flex to have an impressive roster. Uh, according to the producer, Steve Hindelong, uh, He says in a quote, our concept of community is one that takes the emphasis off a particular artist who may have their name attached to a song and places it where it belongs in the worship and exaltation of God. So in other words, sitting on a hill, the community and the collaboration was really a place where the artist could disappear into the material. So I guess... Perhaps unwittingly or fortuitously, uh, not only were the creators of City on a Hill producing music that was functional and useful uh, in the space of uh, corporate worship, uh, but kind of due in part to the accessibility of the instrumentation, hundreds of years of church tradition was about to be overturned by three chords strummed on an acoustic guitar. If you know, you know, and I know, that the chord progression D suspended four, E minor seven, and C add nine capo three, if you wanna sing it in the original recorded key, happens to be one of the most easily accessible chord progressions available to struggling beginning guitar students. Uh, I could sit you down right now, even if you've never picked up a guitar, even if you've never seen a guitar, and I could teach you in 30 minutes how to play D suspended four, E minor seven, and C add nine capo three, if you wanna sing it in the original recorded key. The reason I know this is that I was struggling to teach myself how to play guitar in 2000, and then I stumbled upon a website called Rockin' with the Cross. Uh, Rockin' with the Cross was an early database of user-submitted tablature and chord charts of contemporary Christian music. And it was on this website that I found the chord chart For God of Wonders and a thousand other songs that I quickly sent to much to my parents chagrin, their struggling printer, and eventually to a three ring binder that would become my first songbook. And it included the likes of aforementioned names like Jars of Clay, Third Day, DC Talk, PFR, great band, PFR, underrated band, check them out. Sixpence None the Richer, and just about every song by the late Rich Mullins. All these names will come up again on this podcast, so hang in there if you feel like you are currently treading water in a sea of unknown references. Like a lot of guitar players, especially acoustic guitar players, I soon found myself standing at the front of my church as part of my church's recently formed worship band. We sing Lord I Lift Your Name on High, we sing I Will Call Upon the Lord, we sing God of Wonders. I like singing god of wonders uh the mostly because at that point in my life my untrained singing voice was living mostly in the lower register and i thought i sounded a lot like this guy That, of course, is the voice of Mac Powell, Mac Powell of Third Day, Mac Powell, Christian Music's answer to Hootie and the Blowfish's Darius Rucker, Uh, Mac Powell, the safe alternative to Pearl Jam's Eddie Vedder, Mac Powell, the dynamic baritone frontman who had come to fill that southern rock-shaped hole in all of our hearts. And it is Mac Powell, the voice of Christian Rock's most important and arguably, quite possibly only Southern rock band, who emerges as the primary vocalist for City on a Hill's opening track, God of Wonders. Lord of all creation of water earth. As the song progresses, we hear these lush string arrangements coming in. Uh, we have percussion. We have other voices that begin to appear and they guide us into this instantly singable and unforgettable chorus. Our you are
1: holy,
0: holy. I'm gonna talk about the turn. Uh, we have to talk about the turn. Every beginning guitar player has that moment when they first learn to play something that sounds kind of close to the recording. And I remember the day that I discovered that triads or little shapes as I was calling them at the time were in fact movable and that you could create melodies by moving say a D chord up the neck of the guitar. So if you were leading worship at a church and God of Wonders is still in regular rotation at your church, and you have a second guitar player and one of you doesn't play the turn that I'm about to play for you, please check your heart. Uh, Or go to Rockin' with the Cross on the Wayback Machine and click on the user submitted tablature and spend exactly 90 seconds learning this. In a lot of ways, I believe that the simplicity of this instrumentation is key, even vital to the massive reception of this song. It was not just a recording that was released for consumption during your morning commute. It was meant to be appropriated for your own use in your own local church. And whether you were a seasoned veteran guitar player or a high school student just learning the basics, anyone could step in and at some level lead their congregation in a modern worship song. It wasn't long before just about every denomination began adopting some type of non-traditional instrumentation in their worship services. Acoustic guitars, electric guitars, and yes, even drum kits, surrounded by plexiglass fortresses, were shoehorned into spaces not designed to handle the acoustic pressure of a rock band format. Not every church was so inclined to quickly adapt to this movement, however, oftentimes making space for the acoustic guitar and drawing a line at electric guitars, amplifiers, and drum kits. There's a story, uh, a legend actually, that on the night that Bob Dylan went electric, Bob Dylan, that icon of acoustic folk music, Bob Dylan, the songwriter, songwriter, Bob Dylan, who penned "Blowin' in the wind like a rolling stone, among others, Bob Dylan, quite possibly the source of the most irritating harmonica tone ever recorded, walked up on stage at the Newport Folk Festival in 1965 and with him carried an electric guitar. He and his band then proceeded to play an aggressively electric guitar-driven version of the song Maggie's Farm. I ain't gonna work on Maggie's Farm no more. And the legend goes that American folk singer Pete Seeger, who was standing nearby, had to be restrained from rushing the stage with an axe with which he intended to cut the cable feed that was supplying the audio to the PA system that was blaring Dylan's performance to a booing crowd of folk music fans. Of course this is only the legend and as they say when the legend becomes fact print the legend all of this to say that oftentimes perhaps even most times abandoning tradition in favor of change is not met with applause no so why are we talking about this today how does god of wonders or city on a hill for that matter fit into the american evangelical experience More importantly, how did it fit into my experience? I mentioned earlier that three chords upended hundreds of years of church tradition. And as is typical for me, that's a statement that has less to do with accuracy and more to do with, I like the way that it sounded. Uh, But God of Wonders is not the song that replaced hymns as the primary language of Sunday morning worship. I don't know that any one song can take credit for that or if that's even the case. But to really understand the significance though, you have to understand the tension. And for centuries, the hymnal and the four-part vocal arrangement had been the prominent model for worship. Certainly, this began to change in the early 1970s with the Jesus Movement, but the idea of band-led worship remained, for the most part, within charismatic denominational expressions. And then, right around the late 90s, early 2000s, the cultural sweet spot for this podcast, I suppose everything changed. Well, the music fades All is stripped away
1: I'm forgiven Because you were forsaken
0: And with that, a great schism emerged, Uh, a tension within the church. There's a term that I really don't like to use, but for the sake of giving context, many people refer to this tension as the worship wars, Uh, those lines that were drawn between those who preferred traditional hymns and those who prefer modern instrumentation and arrangements in their Sunday morning worship. Uh, For those of you who didn't grow up in church, think of it as the way that the parents of baby boomers reacted to Elvis and the Beatles appearing on the Ed Sullivan Show or Actually, just any instance of generational contention. During my time as a Worship Arts Director, I had been on the business end on more than a few occasions of a viciously worded email. It's not something I like to dwell on, uh, so we're not gonna stay here long. But now that I think about it, something about God of Wonders. When I needed a softball on Sunday morning, maybe something to calm those aggressive voices, I could always drop God of Wonders into the set list and usually make it to my car after church without somebody chasing me down. In all the years that I was on staff at church, I don't think I can recall anyone getting upset with me over God of Wonders. And I mean, it's not the most edgy song by any means, but I certainly had received far more severe complaints for lesser offenses. And now that I'm sitting here, several years on the other side of church staff life, I wonder if it has something to do with the familiarity to it. Something in its DNA that perhaps echoed something ancient and still something modern, something about this repeated chorus. And something about this chorus. And if you listen to this bridge, Cabin's call vocalist, Daniel Young, is weaving that exact hymn into the background. I began this episode by talking about collaboration. Uh, I talked about We Are The World and the accompanying music video. That wasn't just me finding a loose reference to connect the dots between City on a Hill and God of Wonders back to a childhood experience. Uh, it was very calculated. Uh, it was something that I realized later in life had an incredibly profound impact on my own personal values. Uh, that of unity. Uh, you see, when I watch the music video for We Are The World, it's not the star power of those iconic 80 stars that draws me in. It's the variety. Uh, It's Motown legends and rock gods and country music icons. Heck, if you look closely, Dan Aykroyd is even in the mix. It's the unity found in diversity. It's the Goonies. It's the Sandlot. Stand by me. It's Armageddon. It's the Fellowship of the Ring. It's Remember the Titans. It's really any incarnation of weirdos and misfits who have no earthly business working together, assembling for the greater good. And in a way, I feel like City on a Hill and God of Wonders kind of helped to bridge some of that tension to preserve some of that tradition while at the same time carving out a path forward. If you listen to the closing moments of God of Wonders, you can hear it in the orchestration. So did it work? Did God of Wonders bridge the gap between the traditionalists and the next generation? Probably not. Uh, To my knowledge, a ceasefire to the worship wars has not yet been drafted. In fact, it might be safe to say that those of us who were the progressives of the 90s and early 2000s have become the traditionalists of today. And as each new generation of creatives rise to write the songs of the church, songs like God of Wonders have, for the most part, been packed away like a Rubbermaid container of baby clothes that you keep in the attic just in case. Even the image of the acoustic guitar player passionately strumming their way through a Sunday morning service has somewhat faded in favor of massive electric guitar pedal boards and ambient backing tracks. As it turns out, every generation that rages eventually becomes a thing that is raged against. I mentioned earlier that I had spent some of my time on staff at a church and some of the tension in that space, but it wasn't all tension. Some of it at times was really beautiful, there were moments where you could almost imagine a community not so entangled by their agendas that they couldn't find the unity within the diversity of their expression. I recall an early Sunday morning when I arrived to begin preparing for our sound check, and I was approached by a woman in her 70s. I recognized her as one of those voices of opposition to just about everything I did during my time there. We made small talk for a moment and then as she turned to walk away, she paused and looked back in my direction and said, don't give up on us. We're trying. We really are. I've held on to that encounter for years. Uh, very few people know about it. I'm not sure she intended it this way, but when I heard the word us, I didn't interpret it as her respective camp. Rather, the us of the two of us standing there talking. Don't give up on the relationship. Don't give up on the community. Don't give up on the vision of unity. We're trying. We really are. I guess I am too. My guest today is Carissa Motley. She is one of my oldest and dearest friends, and she has the misfortune of being the first guest on this As of Yet Refined podcast. Carissa, thank you so much for being on the program.
1: Hey, hi, thanks.
0: Carissa, thanks so much for being here. I specifically wanted to reach out to you for this particular topic um, because you are a musician, uh, because you are a worship leader, uh, and that's kind of a little bit of how we know each other. You're also an old friend, and so you kind of... I don't want to say maybe you didn't get your start playing music in church at this time, but I know you were definitely a part of it. Um, Do you want to give us just a little bit of like your background and and your life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a child of the 80s, just like Mr. Reynolds here. Uh, So we have that in common. Um, I grew up in church, uh, started playing piano when I was eight years old. So I was classically trained for a long time, but did grow up in the church um, in a really great Um, For most of my life, American Baptist Church in Illinois started playing, you know, the, if you're not familiar with like the 90s, the 80s, 90s church music, uh, we used to do what were called offertories, where you would basically play a solo, right? It was a performance piece um, while people took the offering. And that's kind of where I started performing, quote unquote, performing, right? And doing that in a church setting you had to be very polished. You had to be very prepared. You had to be really uh, kind of on point for that experience. I've been playing the piano in a church setting for a long time. Um, the worship leading kind of came later because that wasn't a thing uh, for a long time. <laughs> and so that was something I really started probably in college. So that was yeah. in the early 2000s. Um, but yeah, that's been a whole, a whole ride. Uh, I've been doing it ever since then. So that's, Twenty years ago,
0: like about the time everything shifted, what did worship look like at your church prior to drums, guitars, piano? Like, what what did it look like uh, for your church?
1: So uh, it was funny. We were preparing for this, you know, and I had to actually go back and rack my brain and think about what did we do before worship music, right? Before the rise of what we know today as modern worship music, and what did I grow up with um, in a fairly traditional? church that I grew up in, you know, we sang a lot of hymns. And so I was really used to that. They're pretty standard hymnal. Um, but I also had to look up what were some of the songs that were popular in the 90s. And it was a lot of the Maranatha songs, the Gapers, oh, yeah. uh those type of songs. Um, I'd say late 90s, you started getting some simple worship choruses like Lord, I lift Your Name on High. Uh, those ones that kind of were bridging from yeah. really traditional into, hey, maybe we could do something that's a, a little different. Um, and so there were like, I remember singing songs like, still pretty formal, but Majesty. Do you remember that one?
0: I do, and, uh, I do.
1: That, like almost a hymn, but not as long as a hymn.
0: Yeah, there's something really like, especially like you think about Majesty, there's mm-hmm. something about that song where it still kind of has that format. Yes. But it's it does have like, a, like the Gaithers, I think are another name that- right that kind of bridged yes. that gap a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I got to imagine Shine Jesus Shine. Oh, maybe for sure. Pop, right? right? For
1: sure. Celebrate Jesus
0: Oh uh, yeah. with the claps. Yes.
1: It uh, yes. was, was a big hit. Um, so that kind of era of, again, it felt like still musically complicated uh, for the most part. Like a lot of the instrumentation was still kind of complicated. Um, the church I grew up in, I think, was not, we were not ahead of the times, uh, but I don't think we were especially behind the times either. So I think you know we were maybe a little we weren't cutting edge, but um, we I do remember a lot of those songs. We had a chorus book, you know, yep. <laughs> the hymnal, yep. and then the chorus book was the paperback next to chorus it. book. The paperback yes. It's not hardback.
0: So we're talking about the song specifically. The song "God of Wonders" today um, came out in two thousand. Uh, And the album, City on a Hill. City on a Hill was this big collaborative piece. uh, A lot of popular names, at least in Christian music at the time. Third Day is Red Hot at the time. Everybody knows Lee Nash's voice from Six None and the Richer. Um, Cademan's Call, maybe not as widely known, but still a very beloved band. Mm -hmm. Jars of Clay, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, are in there. Were those the bands that were kind of on your radar at the time or... Was that kind of what you were listening to? Yeah, early two thousands.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, like I said, I was in high school in the late nineties. Uh, graduated from high school in the year two thousand, and went into college um, right after that. And so, yeah, my like high school through college was ninety six to 04, Right. So right in this time frame where everything felt like it was changing, um, yep. I you know I grew up listening to a ton of Christian music. Uh, I have been a big fan of Third Day since they came out. I mean, their first album was one that I loved. Uh, So a lot of those bands, yeah, I've been in, or been familiar with for a long time. So when that album came out, it was not unfamiliar. The names were not unfamiliar. Um, But the the songs were new. The songs were different. Uh, They definitely felt like a different vibe than, you know, Third Day was a rock band. Um, So for them to come out and be on this worship quote-unquote, worship album uh, was unexpected. I think it was different than what we were used to listening to. For the oh, yeah.
0: Day. yeah. I mean, you talked about, you know, graduating college around that time, and, you know, we're just, like, right off the edge of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, MTV Unplugged and VH1 Storytellers is is, is huge. huge. It's massive. Um, a lot of just acoustic, rootsy music, like, mm-hmm. probably – probably the biggest wave of acoustic music that we'd seen probably since like the seventies. Yeah. Um, and so it just felt like we were right on the edge of like artists, like Jack Johnson are mm-hmm. about to show mm-hmm. up in Harper. Uh, John Mayer early on was right. very much an acoustic guy. Well, we were and, still, like
1: Dave Matthews band was yep. huge in pop culture. And I also f- had forgotten that they went back this far, but the Goo, Goo dolls. And so yes. you had, you know, that whole, I mean, after Iris came on the scene, you know, everybody wanted to play acoustic guitar because yes. of, because that was such a big hit.
0: But nobody knew the tuning. But
1: nobody knew the tuning. It was magical,
0: <laughs> and so it felt like there was kind of like this shift that was just inevitable mm-hmm. of like something more intimate. Yeah. Um, and and I wonder if uh, I know we're talking, we're getting a little bit ahead of us ourselves, but the the idea of the acoustic guitar being so prominent and so much of that music, it's almost like the acoustic guitar kind of demands this intimacy. Um, more than maybe other instrumentation would. Um, more than like, you know, a pipe organ right. or a formally played yeah. uh grand piano. Right. Yeah. Um like uh you talked about like some of the listening to some Christian music. Like who are some of the other artists that maybe around that time that were like what was your jam?
1: So I had to go back and actually look up what who was around in this time period because I have a yeah. terrible memory. And so I I pulled up just the like top 100 Christian songs in the year 2000. And I was like, oh, man, I listened to all of these songs. I listened to all of these bands. But some of the ones, I mean, the Newsboys were in full swing. Um, I loved the Newsboys. Um, You had like Audio Adrenaline was big back then. I had several Audio Adrenaline albums. We were still coming off of like Michael W. Smith was still big as a piano player. He was kind of my jam. Yep. I I, I love Michael Smith. Um Chris Rice. I also Chris Rice Yeah, I forgot about that. I loved yep. his stuff, especially he had a great piano-based uh acoustic album. because um, okay. he was a piano player. So that one really spoke to me. Um the band PFR. Do you remember the band oh, PFR? I,
0: are we gonna talk about PFR? I
1: don't know, are we? I
0: have I have so much love for PFR.
1: <laughs> me too. I had forgotten about them. Um, So like PFR, Big Tent Revival, like all these bands that just kind of disappeared by the end of that decade. Um, Nicole Nordeman was another big one for me as a a female singer. Jennifer Knapp. Like so a lot of these um, artists, there were a lot of new ones. Like I said, you're coming in off the Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman pop Christian music um, into some of these more band type uh, styles, right? Joseph Clay, obviously. We already said them. Um, Switchfoot was brand brand new in 2000. I mm-hmm. had forgotten that. Um, so I remember "Dare You to Move" coming out, and that also acoustic guitar, right? Like that was it. They had a huge, um, and then that ended up being in the movie "A Walk to Remember," which we yes. actually just showed our teens um, because they love sappy movies.
0: Oh, <laughs> and you went there.
1: We did.
0: Nice. How they how they how um, they like it.
1: I think because it's so old that you know mm-hmm. the quality's less great than what they're used to right now. <laughs> yeah. But it was uh it was entertaining. I've had forgotten how good the soundtrack was, honestly, was my main takeaway. It's
0: but a great soundtrack. I kind of love
1: those songs. I love
0: that there are movies that I feel like because I love the soundtrack, yes. I give the movie maybe more yes. grace than I should.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Nick and Nora's
0: Infinite Playlist is definitely that has a like, great
1: soundtrack.
0: Yep, yeah, it does. It really does. That has a great um, soundtrack. So uh let's talk about worship songs from that yeah. era. So you're you know, churches are starting to make a little bit of a shift mm-hmm. during that time, more band led or even just acoustic guitar led right. worship services are starting to happen. What are some of those early 2000s worship songs that were part of the catalog of of your church or just in for you in your own personal life?
1: Um one of the biggest ones that I remember is Shout to the Lord. Mm. I bet everybody who was Darlene. in church in the early 2000s will remember Shout to the Lord. Yep. And that for me is an interesting one, because when you say Hillsong now, that's not what you think of, right? Not at all. But that's Hillsong, right? That was Hillsong in the late 90s and early 2000s was Shout to the Lord. And so that itself has had this evolution of, you know, associations with different organizations and different songwriters and and different styles. Um, but again, I think shout to the Lord had that kind of classic vibe. I don't know. It was a big ballad, right? Like this big power ballad, um, where it, it had a key change in it. Oh, the and, key change. Well, that was the best part. I still yep. love, I still love a good key change. I mean, I love, it. I love a good key change in the middle yep. of the song. Um, and so I remember shout to the Lord. We did a lot. Um, <laughs> that was one that was in pretty heavy rotation at my church. Yep. Um, some, I could, you know, there's a lot of, uh, we had, you know, you kind of listed a few artists that were started, um, this whole worship movement. Chris Tomlin was a big one. Uh, He had a lot of those early songs, like we fall down. Um, I'm trying to think there were, there were some that were really, I feel like we didn't do a ton of variety at my church. And so that was me exploring on my own. Um, in the Christian bookstore. Right. (laughs) Because we didn't have Spotify. Um, We're using the
0: demo, the demo CDs. Would you go do the demo CDs? Yeah,
1: absolutely. This is a whole thing that I have to try to explain to my kids. And so if you're Gen Z and you have, you're like, what is a demo CD? I don't even know what that is. We used to have to go to the store, right. (laughs) And find a CD and they would have one open. So you could put it in a CD player and see if you liked it. And you know, Maybe you got through a couple tracks and you bought it based off that. Uh, so that was a whole. I remember doing that a lot. I
0: know I'm getting this like nostalgic over here, but this whole podcast is about nostalgia. It is. I don't think there is any more experience, more sacred than walking into like. A christian bookstore i don't know if they did this at sam goody but the, the christian bookstores would have uh, little cd players sitting over in like these booths and yes you you would see an album and it would just have a big demo sticker on it and just going over and listening to that and going oh yeah I, okay four out of ten is not bad right or, you know, so,
1: right and you and you would buy the whole album
0: yeah four here's dogs, my seven here's my seventeen dollars exactly <laughs> yeah.
1: you know it's like oh i like the first two tracks and the last two tracks on this jars of clay album. So I guess I'll buy the whole thing because I don't have any other choice. Like I said, I was kind of trying to figure out on my own and through some experiences I'd had, I went to a couple of conferences, really got into passion, the passion label. And so like I said, Chris Tomlin, I had been exposed to um, David Crowder band, uh, Matt Redman, Charlie Hall, a lot of the guys on that early passion um, label. Those were the big ones for me for, for quite some time. Um, And not necessarily because they were on the radio, but because their songs, I mean, you used the word like personal earlier, right? They felt a lot more like I was having a conversation with God when I would sing those songs rather than just, you know, the CCM stuff that I was hearing on the radio.
0: So in 2000, God of Wonders comes out. And I have to say that like Christian radio Kaylov they never let go of anything easily no. and i will say that god of wonders i have heard in the wild in the last 4 years on my local Christian radio station. Yeah. And this this was not a throwback Thursday. This was not a special event. This was nope. just just part of the regular regular rotation. Yes, and they, so, they
1: are unironically playing God of Wonders.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. And so now I feel like, you know, maybe we're getting to a point. It's been 23 years and here we mm-hmm. are. We're talking about it in right. more of like a nostalgic way. Right. But it, it, there's been some, at least for Christian radio, there's been some staying power yeah. with it. Any, so the song comes out. Um and, and uh, we'll we'll get into a little bit more we 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 talked briefly about some of the artists who are featured on it. This song features Mac Powell, this song features Cademan's Call, this song features Lee Nash uh, of Sixpence None the Richer. What is it about this song that you think resonated with people so much at the time as sort of a a song that was put into use uh for Sunday morning corporate worship?
1: I would say for me, I'll start with for me personally in the It's one of those where when you hear that opening chord progression, right, you immediately know what song it is. Um, If the the acoustic player plays it right, right? If the acoustic player has the right chord voicings, you Mm -hmm, immediately mm -hmm. know what song that is, Uh, which that's a whole side topic, right, about how you play the worship songs. Um, And so you immediately know what song it is. And I feel like there's something in that that, you know, it's not that hymns didn't have recognizable introductions or melodies. But again, it just feels more like, Oh, it, it had this moment of, I'm going to have this moment with God and I'm going to say something to God. Right. And I'm going to have this reflection, right? Because it was, it was a, you, you are holy, you are holy, um, rather than a, he is holy. Um, and I feel like that was part of the shift is that it became more intimate, honestly, to use that, you know, to say to God, you are this. Um, I'm going to talk to you like an actual person. Um, and, and again, not that songs hadn't done that before, but I do also think it was really accessible. You know, the melody was accessible. The words were words that we were familiar with. The words were easy to sing, um, which I think was a big part of this whole movement. Uh, was the accessibility of it, the way it appealed to, it wasn't as heady, right? So I actually consider myself somewhat of an academic, you know, Um, I teach at a college. And so-
0: I I would agree. I would agree with you.
1: (laughs) So that is something for me, like I loved Caveman's Call because it was full of allusions and references to obscure biblical phrases and passages but that's less accessible, right? Not everyone gets that and not everyone knows what those things mean and not everyone honestly connects with poetry. Um, I love poetry. I think it's, you know, it's beautiful. And Caden's called some of the greatest lyricists, right? Oh, all the so, time.
0: so many good songs. So
1: many beautiful lyrics that really though took you a minute to process, right? To absorb and to understand and comprehend. A song like God of Wonders, it's it's common, but not in a bad way, you know. Like it's I Lord of all creation, right? That's that's accessible. That's easy, and I think that was part of part of what helped it gain so much traction in churches is that that was still a new concept, which is weird to us now because. That's just how music is
0: now. That's our language mm-hmm. that we use on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. I think there's something about what you said about the, instead of the declarative, he is holy, saying you are holy. It's almost like that the songwriter was allowing you to take ownership yeah. of the song and make it your own and make it your own declaration yeah. instead of just um, you know uh, jumping onto the whatever they were already singing and writing. Yeah. I did a lot of thinking about the song this week, um, just the writing, the lyrics of it. Mm-hmm. The lens zooms in and out a Mm -hmm. lot throughout the song the first verse you know it's this big statement of lord of creation it's this very cosmic big idea on such a grand scale the second verse is from a first person Mm -hmm. and you know uh talks about god is the one whose name i will call when i when i stumble in the darkness and then Later on the song, musically, it it has it has grown and has become this big. There's this huge orchestra playing, mm-hmm. and then it comes down to just a very small uh, accompaniment behind Mac Powell, who kind of in a very odd kind of alternate chorus just says, "Precious Lord, reveal your heart to me." Right, as such an intimate thing to it ask is. for. Yeah, and um, yeah. I wonder if a little bit of the reason the song has had so much staying power. Is it works in so many different contexts? Like yeah. it works uh, on a Sunday morning as a, a piece of adoration or a piece of confession, or mm-hmm. just on a lot of different levels, a call to worship. Yeah. Um, God of Wonders is a little stronger than I maybe initially gave it credit for when I sure. when I picked it out as kind of the the maiden voyage yeah. of this, uh, pod- <laughs> this podcast.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and I I would agree with you. I think it gets at a lot of various aspects of God, right? Like a lot of us connect with the God who created the world, right? Like he's big and he's powerful and he, you know, can do all these things. um, But also he's our personal savior, right? There is something very personal about the relationship that we can have with him. And to have all of that really in the scope of a four minute song (laughs) is pretty astonishing.
0: Right especially with a chorus that kind of just repeats
1: over and it's, over.
0: Yep. Yep. There's a lot, yep. to, there's a lot of depth in there. Absolutely. You talked about third day earlier. Um, I mean, if we're keeping it real, was there any other vocalist that could really have started us <laughs> off on this? Like just, you know, you like, like, and like you said, Mac Powell, third day, um, Southern rock band really yeah. uh, for the, for the time. And so they come yeah. into this worship project. I mean, how did, how'd that strike you? Like, was that, was it, was it jarring or did it just kind of feel like, nah, that, that feels about like, that feels about right.
1: You know, I, you had put this on the list and I thought, you know what? I don't know if I even thought about it at the time, honestly, but as I'm thinking about it now, I think that there is something to, it's, it's a great pick on a lot of levels, right? And again, if you think about what was happening in contemporary music, this also, okay, hear me out. This was when Nickelback started coming up. Yeah. This is when Creed was popular, right? So that rise of like the gritty male vocalist. Yep. Third Day was already doing that, but they were not mainstream, right? And so you've got this whole thing that's happening where people are like, oh, I love that vibe, right? I love that tone. I love the way that he sings. And I think that was a thing a lot of people gravitated to Third Day because they loved the sound of Mac Powell's voice. And I mean, we still do, right? Yeah. We've had such longevity and now he's doing solo work, right? And it's because people just love the sound of his voice. They love the way that he sings. And so you have that coming into, again, we're on the verge of super traditional. Yep. We're getting ready to move into something less traditional, but we've been on like the four part harmony Gathers right? And then you have this guy come sing this song who's like a real actual rock star. Right. Yes. <laughs> and to me, like, as I'm reflecting on it, I'm thinking like this, this is brilliant because it tells you that the genre, right. Is less important than the music and the content. And so that's what that kind of means to me. Like that's what I take away from that is that, man. Yeah. I love Mac Powell. Right. Who does it? If you grew up in this era and you know, third day, you love Mac Powell. You yeah. love his voice. Um, they're that first album with the bus on the cover. I mean, that's still solid yes. album. You go instantly, back and re- listen to that
0: instantly recognizable voice, no yeah. matter what project he's on. Right. And he's been, he's guested on a lot of projects.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a good, you know, it, it was just this sort of way to move forward. Um, and really the thought I had when I was t- kind of down some notes is that, it almost was this foreshadowing that like rock and roll is coming to the church.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so, I mean, and that's me in hindsight. I didn't know that in 2000 Oh sure. because you know, who, who did? Um, I honestly can't remember when we started having a drum set in my church, um, but it was probably not consistently by the year 2000. I don't, right. think, I think we had one in the basement for the youth group, but not in the main sanctuary. Right. Um, So it was still this, oh my gosh, we can have these things in church and it's worshipful, right? Uh, So I think he was a great front runner. He was a great, you know, sort of harbinger of what was going to come in the next decade with worship music
0: yes speaking for myself as a struggling tenor i adored having someone who had a deeper voice yeah who was leading some worship i was like oh this is fantastic yeah so sitting on a hill the album comes out it's this uh big collaborative effort um is there anything that like if you were to explain to somebody like who maybe wasn't didn't grow up in the church or anything Mm -hmm. like what did this mean how significant was it that these artists came together specifically and uh do you have like anything you would compare it to maybe mainstream or or otherwise? That's
1: a great question. I think that we were, again, if you look at the music that was out, people were fairly siloed, right? We had They had their own groups. Um, and It's funny because I wouldn't say bands. I would say groups, right? right? Because that was sort of the nature of music at the time. And you didn't see a lot of collaboration, at least from what I remember. I don't remember artists collaborating. Yeah, I don't remember it right? Like now it's very common, um, even in pop music, right? That it's, this song is by this person featuring, right? So-and-so. Um, and so you've got collaboration is a lot more normal, I think in music today than it was 20 years ago. And so this idea of a collaborative worship project was really pretty new and, obviously they pulled artists who were popular at the time who had popularity. And so it would be today, if you were in the Christian worship scene, it would be like having an album where you had Maverick city and elevation and Bethel and Hillsong, like all do a project together. Right. I feel like that would be the equivalent. And even now we go, yeah, that probably wouldn't really happen. Right. Because they're all kind of doing their own thing. They, they, share singers once in a while but so the the city on a hill album yeah i went back and i looked it up and i was like oh yeah i forgot about these songs and i actually forgot about some of these people right the fact that they pulled all of it together was this it was kind of a novelty honestly at the time and it i mean for me personally i don't i'm not gonna say that had a huge impact on me but again as i'm thinking about it in hindsight it's pretty cool yeah to watch that start to happen
0: a term that maybe some of our listeners might be familiar with, or maybe not depends on kind of which corner of the church or the world you grew up in, uh, is worship wars. And, yeah. uh, that is one that if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of the idea of this tension between traditional and contemporary. Um, the idea that a lot of churches, one that, when the shift was happening from contem- from traditional worship to contemporary worship, a lot of people had trouble letting go, of that and kind of accepting modern techniques into Sunday mornings. Did you run into that at, uh, at your church or just have you run into that before?
1: So what's funny is that we did the whole traditional service, contemporary service for a number of years at the church that I grew up in. It was interesting because I think then separating like that, you don't feel as much of that tension, right? Where you don't feel oh, well, we're fighting with each other because we just separated ourselves. So it was like, if you want this, you have it here. And if you want the other thing, you have it here. So it's really the onus is in on you. You show up for what you want to hear. Um, and so I think, you know, there was probably a season after that when they started to integrate their services, um, which I wasn't there for. Um, I had left by that time after I graduated from college and I went to a really super contemporary church. Which was a phenomenal experience for me. And so that like they were, they were not doing worship wars at all. They were just like, this is what we're doing. It's whatever right. is out right now. And that's what we're doing. Like the newer the better. Um, we even did secular music as special music, you know, like there was that was a whole different experience, right? But something that blows my mind is that churches are still doing the worship wars. Yes. Still. In 2023. And that blows my mind because I've been so removed from that for so long now that I thought we were done. Right. I thought that that was over. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to go back and do that again because it does cause tension, you know, and it, and it doesn't need to. Because um, at the end of the day, right, if your music is about God, yep. Why why are we fighting about it? Right. And again, as someone who grew up in a super traditional musical background, I love a good hymn every once in a while. Oh, of course. Yeah. I love it. You know, I have some favorite hymns and um, I probably always will. And so I'm not opposed to that. I think that there's you know, there's something to be gleaned in there. But yeah, I I didn't firsthand have to wade through the war myself. Um, I was on the kind of the front of it at the church that I was in in college And then, like I said, I kind of left before they, you know, engaged in probably that whole process um, of, of doing the, we do one service that has everybody's style of music in it. So I'm not sure how that went down. (laughs) I kind of got out before that happened.
0: I can tell you from experience, it doesn't always go well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I know you've gone through that a couple of times.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I have. And I, I wonder sometimes if just like that tension is inevitable, um, yeah, and, and in some ways, I wonder if there's some wisdom to a little bit of keeping those services segregated. Uh, the church I attend now, they do a, um, a traditional service in another part of the building and Sorry. then they have their contemporary service, uh, or just, I wouldn't even call it contemporary service, just their service, um, in uh, and, the main auditorium there and everyone seems pretty, pretty content with, with that model. So it seems to, it seems to work, um one thing i was thinking about is i'm a little bit i mean i'm i'm very nostalgic and very sentimental um and i kind of have like the music that i like
1: Mm uh the
0: songs that i like Mm -hmm. you've been doing this about as long as i have and longer than i have and so um did you find did you find difficult ever to let go of some of the songs of the past in in your journey as a worship leader i know i've struggled with this because once i kind of had like my block of worship mm-hmm. music from like 2005 to 2012 I was set. I was like right. these are the songs I will play forever. Right. Um and obviously, you know, that that doesn't always that doesn't work in every environment. Did sure. how, how what was your experience in that?
1: Um I think I told you recently. I actually just created like a throwback worship playlist on Spotify that I just songs that I loved and it reminds me of the spiritual season that I was in when those songs came out. And there is something about that, that I feel not only nostalgic, but really reflective about. Mm -hmm. Um, and knowing that that's 15 years ago, right. First of all, blows my mind. Um, but, (laughs) um, but just to think about who I was then versus who I am now versus what all happened in the middle, right? Like it, it is this whole sort of, you know music triggers memory we all know that and so there is something really great about those connections but also i think it holds up like i think it's such great music uh on the whole and it, it just it's still like i i still i'm going like yeah i can still worship to that like that's something that really connects me to god when i get in the in the zone with those songs but definitely i have favorite probably favorites from almost every era oh yeah um, Songs that I was like, you know, that you don't want to let go of, but they kind of run their course or like, even at the church that I serve at now, we have songs from my husband. I've been there eight years. There's songs still in our archive from eight years ago that I'm like, oh, I kind of miss that song. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of miss Mighty to Save. I kind of miss, you know, like... I I know it kind of ran its course, but every once in a while I like to pull something like that back out. Mm-hmm. Be like, who remembers this? Who else remembers this with me?
0: Like thinking of like those titles, like um mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I'm like technically like Gen X, but I probably identify more as like a millennial.
1: It's the Star Wars generation, right? Like seventy seven to eighty four. I
0: like Star Wars generation. That I do sounds, too, right? Okay. So if we if we were gonna create the Star Wars generation hymnal. Ha. <laughs> Like what was, what, like, what are just a couple of titles like you think would go into, like, what were the songs that even if it wasn't your favorite, you're like, if I was going to tell someone this was one, like, for me, like how great is our God mm-hmm. was just, it, it was yep. um In yeah. Christ, in Christ alone was oh, yeah. just, you know, I love like, that song. yep. And even one that's maybe a little bit on the newer side, when I say newer, I mean, it came along later, sure. uh, probably 10,000 reasons. I think that was uh, yeah. one that was just that's huge. Like, what do you what what do do you, you got for one. us?
1: There's a lot of Matt Redman stuff in those years that was really popular. Heart of Worship was a big mm-hmm. one. Um, I already talked about Shout Out to the Lord. That was a pretty standard, you know, everybody knew it. So if we're putting together a hymnal, that's probably going to be in there. Um, and the interesting thing is you can even pull from before that a little bit where I thought about there's a lot of Rich Mullen stuff. Yep. That that made it into sort of on the cusp of this worship movement, right? Like Awesome God and um, some of those, you know, the step-by-step and some of those simpler little choruses and things that people really, really latched onto and that became like part of the canon in like, oh, we end a song and then we kind of sing this little ending of Awesome God on the end of that. Um, Side note, I'm also a huge fan of the medley as I know you are, we, we both like to do that where it's like, Oh, the mashup and the, you know, (laughs) because all worship songs you can play together really. Yes, you Um, can. uh, I talked about earlier, you know, the passion movement, a lot of their early stuff. So um, Chris Tomlin's not to us album. Such a a phenomenal album. album. I mean, that had so many great songs on it. So I probably put most of those in there (laughs) if I'm being honest. Um, a a lot of David Crowder songs, I think would make the cut to, they're a little bit, I think more obscure for some people. I don't think all churches got into David Crowder, but, um, Chris Tomlin definitely was canon. Yeah. There's, there's a whole bunch in that just sort of genre and feel and, you know, um, some delirious, right? Like, do you feel the mountains tremble? That is the the worst song in the world to sing. Yes. So hard. Yes, it is. So hard. Right, as like a female vocalist, I was like, I can never sing lead on this song because it's so rangy. It's so hard.
0: We've talked a lot about uh, God of Wonders um, today, but uh, like on the City City on a Hill album, any other songs stand out to you? Did any of the others kind of resonate with you at all?
1: That's I actually had to go like look up the list of songs when you had thrown that question out there, and that tells me right away that no, okay, like, I did not honestly remember what else was on that album. When I looked at the list, I thought, oh, yeah, I do remember a few of these, but not very many. That was definitely the standout track on that particular album, Um, which is not to say that I'm sure I had the whole album at the time, but I don't remember a lot of the other songs. So they did not have the same connection, the same connectivity, you know, the same memorability or, you know, all the things that we talked about that that song had. Um, So, no, I don't. Did okay. you have any other ones that
0: you were like, oh yeah, I still sing Yeah. Well. So uh this road uh by Jars of Clay is the closing oh, yeah. song. Yeah. Um and it's such a jars sounding song. Yeah. I mean, it's the acoustic, it's the like har- the, the the Steve Mason harmonies, mm-hmm. um the accordion and um something that I thought about was because we've been talking about how so much of this is bridging traditional to contemporary. That seems to kind of be like a recurring theme of Even this conversation and um, something I picked up on listening to, well, something that we haven't talked about in God of Wonders is the little drop of Holy, Holy, Holy uh, that Danielle Young drops Uh into that little, and it's so So well-placed and and it's such just kind of like a nod to the past as this song is moving forward, um, even the strings at the end mm-hmm. reference it. Then, mm-hmm. when you get into This Road, which I think This Road is a fantastic Jars of Clay song, um, it ends, there are a couple of hymns just instrumentally. And the song already, there's like just so much like hymn DNA in right. the arrangement of that song. And um, when you get to the end of it, though, I want to say it's uh, Lord of All. Lord uh, of all to thee we raised, that melody line is in there. And I believe also something from Come Now Found. It's just like a very oh, yeah. subtle, um, they're like bells that they're playing there. Um, and it's an incredible way to kind of tie up the album. Yeah. Um, because it's, once again, it's, we're looking ahead, but we're also acknowledging the past. And so, uh, but you're right. Like between those two bookends of the album, not much really ever like stayed with me right um one that i that i uh did find though was on their sequel to this because city on a hill ended up releasing more um
1: because if it works you got to keep if doing it works it.
0: yeah. so there's a volume two there was a christmas yeah. release uh, that's right but uh beautiful scandalous night Ugh. appears on um i think the second album and uh, that's Lee Nash and Bebo mm-hmm. Norman. Am I right mm-hmm. on that? And I think so. What a phenomenal song. Yeah. That's um, a
1: beautiful song.
0: It has that great, uh, like, 6'8 swing. Uh huh. Um, and just has that, like, there, there, when I say something is hymn like, I I don't even know how to describe it. But if I say In Christ Alone, you're going to say, That's hymn like. Or if I say yeah, Beautiful Scandalous Night, you're going to yeah. say, Yes, it has, like, a hymn feel yeah. it to does.
1: it. It does. It has that vibe to it. It does. And- When you say say that title, that reminds me of the other band that I listened to that did that song on one of their albums was the Small Town Poets. Yes. And that song, like their version, that was like, that was when I learned to sing harmony was I think to that song, Yeah, Um, not growing up as a, like I played piano, which I think as you instruments with chords trained your ears to hear those different tones, but I didn't learned to do that until I was probably in college and I started singing more regularly but like there were a couple of songs like that which again the hymns are built for parts right like we talked about that earlier people come in going I'm going to sing this part down here and you're going to sing that part up there yep and so that hymn tonality gives you that just made that learning harmony was a lot easier for me to do with songs like that because I could feel where it was going and it yes. was easier to follow but man,
0: what that! What a great pull. Now I'm going to listen to that song after oh, it's this. Good, it's such
1: a good song. It
0: is. So on the 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 tagline for this podcast is Unraveling the American Evangelical Experience. And not that we assume that everyone had the same experience, but there are like some shared common things. Um, and God of Wonders, because it was uh, just so omnipresent on radio for so long, uh, is, is probably for a lot of people part of their experience what kind of like legacy do you think that this album and this song have, have kind of left that kind of uh, tie into even today
1: yeah well you know I think we we kind of both touched on this a little bit in the fact that you know you said the staying power of it um, I don't think any of us knew in 2000 it was going to have that kind of staying power obviously, you know, you can't know that until that happens. But when you sing a song for 20 years, that tells you something, right? When you, when you hear it for 20 years in pretty regular rotation, and I'm sure there are still churches singing that song, right? Just because my church isn't, doesn't mean it's not being sung. And I also think that it, you know, a lot of these worship songs ended up having like a global reach because again, we were at the time where, that's, we were, the internet was starting. Gosh. Oh, right. We're, like we're old, right?
0: <laughs> a little, a
1: little. Uh, we remember the beginning of the internet. So, you know, you just started to have this, like, again, the accessibility. So I think a lot of things happened there that uh, when you simplify music, it becomes more translatable, right? And not just in other languages, but like, I think it just reaches more people. Right. And so that idea of that simplification of the music itself of the lyrics, and we talked about the lyrics earlier and how they like encompass so much of who God is that, that I just think about the, like the global impact of that. Like if you started, if you translated that and sort of that in Spanish, right? right. I took a mission trip to West Africa when I was in college and we sang shout to the Lord in French and a is beautiful and B how it was super cool to see, you know, this song that we knew and we loved that we could take it to somewhere else in a different language. So you think about a song like God of Wonders, again, I think it's the accessibility of it that really made it impactful. And I think that when you talk about the evangelical experience, you know, this is a thing for me that like, that's a word I don't love because it has so many connotations for people. Um, And I've always just kind of been like, you know, it's church. Like I do church and we do ministry and my husband's a pastor and that's just the life that we live. Um, So I don't necessarily think of myself as someone in the evangelical community all the time. But I do think that it had an impact on the evangelical culture because it started, again, this shift. There have been more shifts since then in music culture in worship music. Um, I think it's constantly shifting. I think we're seeing, you know, what's popular now is this really like a law, a group, a collective is really, you know, Maverick city is showing us that like this teamwork and collaboration, like that this works and it's, it's pulling a lot of people together. Again, that harkens back to, yeah, this started back 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. And I don't think that, you know, they would have anticipated that at the time. I don't think Mac Powell was like, Yeah, man, I'm going to start a worship music movement, right? Right,
0: right. <laughs> One thing that occurred to me about this, and not that it goes exactly to this specific album, but around this time, it, denominationally, it became mm. more accessible um, because yeah. really, kind of up until that point, like a lot of churches had bands, yeah. but it was sort of limited to more of like charismatic churches that right. really had their roots in sort of the Jesus movement of the seventies, mm-hmm. but you didn't see a lot of Baptist churches right, or Methodist right. churches with a band. Um, and it just felt like this was, I don't know if the timing was just right. Um, but for some reason, it felt like this, I, um, this idea was, was able to find life, um, and really spread to, uh, all kinds of denominations where at this point, every denomination has at least experimented with an acoustic guitar, right. uh, if not, if for not sure. a full band. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's hugely. Uh, it, I mean, more than I initially thought when I set out to uh, explore this song and this album. City uh, on a Hill" is uh, is a, a, a ma- it's a major occurrence, I think, um, yeah. in just like the life of the church over the last twenty some years. So we are back at the big church van podcast where we are going to compile a list of the top 10 acoustic driven worship songs of all time. And I think what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of do a back and forth. I've got a list of five, you've got a list, Carissa. So, um, we'll just kind of do a back and forth here. These may not be the definitive, uh, ones. And honestly, the more I looked at my list, I was like, they kind of go back a ways. Um, and it feels like the reason they do is because now, so many songs are maybe not acoustic driven, but it feels mm-hmm. like there's often like an 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 acoustic alternate take or a video out there somewhere. You know, if Hillsong has Oceans, there's right. an acoustic version of Oceans, or sure. there's an acoustic version of Gyra out there. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, so like I notice in my list, it does tend to hang out in the early 2000s or mid 2000s um but i'm just gonna i'm just gonna jump out with one here one of my absolute favorites uh beautiful things by the band Gunger. um i had i was completely unfamiliar with Gunger, um and i thought that sounds like a he-man character and (laughs) i had no idea what it was and then my goodness the song beautiful things just i mean the acoustic guitar blending with the the strings that's uh that's that's on my list
1: that's a great pick. I and that listen, uh, all of these songs, like I said, kind of bring back memories for me. And that yeah. one for me is a super emotional memory. Oh, and, so much, you know, like that's a beautiful just the way that they put that song together. Got oh, yeah, I could yeah. want a whole thing about that, but that's a that's a that's a good pick up that one should be at the top of the list for sure.
0: Uh, um, what do
1: you um, so you have uh experienced my favorite acoustic guitar worship song is david crowder's make a joyful noise yes cannot beat the acoustic riff on the beginning of that <laughs> on the it's, beginning of that song it's
0: it's yeah
1: i mean you gotta nail it and that really means you can't like transpose it because it just doesn't hit the same Mm-mm. um but it's yeah you know, i've heard you play that a number of times and you're always fantastic
0: it's such uh, a Dave Matthews-ish it is. like a percussive. Yep. And he really like he always in the early days David Crowder always played that solid body acoustic. Yes. Um yeah. and it was just uh boy the it just the tone just popped. Oh, for yeah. sure. Which is which is so necessary. Yeah. Um on there. Yeah. Um my next one I have is uh You Are Good by Israel Houghton and usually when you one. think of like Israel, and new breed, like mm-hmm. these big horn arrangements, and but if you have to have some chops, you do to really be able to kind of play through that yeah. um, rhythmically. It is a uh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Like I, I got dropped into that like kind of unexpectedly one night, really, and had to really like. Quickly, like uh, do a quick study on like oh what what is really going on here? So um I love what that song. Occasionally, I still get to play that song. So do I love, you? What it, yeah, I one. That one, I, I that one was it.
1: always a favorite. Like I and I will say there are some worship songs that I have this thing where sometimes I'll listen to it and think, mm, you know, maybe yeah. That's, I mean it's an okay song, but then you play it and you play it live and you play it with a band and it just. Man, the way that that hits, and that is one of those songs for me. I wouldn't so probably much listen to that song on repeat, mm-hmm. but I would play that in a heartbeat. I would, oh, to play that song live is so much fun.
0: Last time I played it, I was invited to a men's conference, uh, nice. and they they played that, and to just hear like a thousand dudes singing that out was was great. The energy yeah. definitely, the energy matched the riff. So yeah, for yeah. sure, I can yeah.
1: imagine that's awesome. What else you got? Okay, so I, again, this is not like I think you could do this not with an acoustic guitar, but one for me that was always a big acoustic song um, is Hosanna.
0: Oh yeah, Hillsong.
1: Hillsong. Uh, this is United, right? Or Hillsong Yes, I think that's. Is that they United? Bo- they've both know. done it, but I think yeah. it's United. But that song came out what in like maybe 050,6.
0: seems right. And
1: that was and that one lasted for a while, but the, just the, the way that that guitar part starts on that one that mm-hmm. it sets, it sets a really nice tone for that song. I love I just that's a good one for me.
0: It's really pretty. This, the it chords is. are the inversions yes. really really support that song.
1: And they throw in some minors where you're mm-hmm. not expecting them, yeah. um, so you know it is a little bit of a challenge. It's fun yeah. to play. Sounds I love I love that one on guitar.
0: You uh, brought up David Crowder, so I'm gonna also I'm gonna use my David Crowder pick, uh, "Open Skies." Um, a little bit of a similar vibe to uh, to make a joyful noise. Mm-hmm. Just and I I'm just gonna say like I feel like I'm a fairly accomplished guitar player. I still haven't nailed that one. <laughs> there's just a lot. There's a lot going on there.
1: Um, there is. It's it's
0: very frenetic, and uh, like I mean, the Illuminate album is. Oh, that yeah. It's a perfect album, and it's there's so album. there's so many good guitar parts. But mm-hmm. Open Skies by David Crowder Band really stands out to me.
1: That's a, that's a phenomenal pick, and that is one that we actually put that in our rotation at the church I was at at the time. There, I I don't know of anybody who could hit that. <laughs> Really?
0: It's, it's very, yeah. It's just <laughs> it, unique. It's it very is unique.
1: unique. And that was the thing. I have another David Crowder pick too, but like so that's the thing about David Crowder is like there were these, I think when you think of like a riff or a lead line, you typically think of an electric yeah. or even a piano, but he did things with the acoustic guitar that were just so unique and inventive. Um It made it, I mean, it made it hard to copy it, but you know, it was, Gosh, it was fun to try. Sometimes I think so.
0: I remember getting on his website back in early two thousands, and he had put everything in like alternate tunings, which was the way he was able to do a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, but they were all handwritten. Like somebody had oh actually gosh. like written out the chord <laughs> diagrams and wow. just it, it was like this scrawling. Almost like a child had written it out. But he was just like, here's, "Here's our resources if you're trying to figure these songs wow. out." Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. My, I would say my other David Crowder pick would be all I can say mm. off that very, very early album called all I can say, Yeah, but that was as a non guitar player. Um, I dabbled in acoustic guitar for a while, um, by very small hands and, you know, I'm apparently a little delicate cause I couldn't handle the calluses. My <laughs> 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 like, piano doesn't give you calluses like that. Yeah. Um, but that was one that I remember learning just, the walk up in that, you know, just the way that that walks with the chord structures. It's a pretty simple chord pattern, yes. but it has, again, that really notable, identifiable. Yep. The way that the, the voicings are. In you that have to play structure.
0: that baseline. Like you, you
1: got to play that walk up. Um, otherwise it's just any old song.
0: Yeah. Yes. That's. And just like lyrically, that's such a oh. rich, such a rich song. I it, think, um, My first exposure to David Crowder, I want to say, sorry, David Crowder, if you're listening to this, but I think you gave me some burned CDs of all I can say. And I remember hearing that and just being like, oh, this is like, I I had grown up uh, a lot like listening, like revering the writing of Rich Mullins. Yeah. And I think it was the first time I'd really heard someone kind of like reach that Mm -hmm. that level. Mm -hmm. Um, Just wow. Yeah. Such a good. My, my, my Spotify playlist these week this week is just gonna be all of this it's so.
1: gonna, I really hope everybody goes and listens to all these songs that we're talking yeah. about it's it'll make a lot more sense if
0: you do it really will <laughs> this song came up earlier in our chat um, and uh, uh, here I am to worship yeah uh, originally by Tim Hughes but has been covered just by everybody, everybody. at this point yeah, yeah. Um, something about just the way that the the chord rhythm, the driving of it, it matches the, the feeling of the song. Mm-hmm. Like it matches the emotion of the song. Um, the mm-hmm. way you have to drive the acoustic, uh, the right hand rhythm. Um, it's very right. simple, very easy. Uh, you, you could learn to play it after like three guitar lessons, but right? it's a very, um, it's the song is very heartfelt. And mm-hmm. I mean, by even just the title here I am to worship mm-hmm. um the it like playing that I think is one of the times like me personally I feel the most as if I am bringing an offering of music to God mm-hmm. that, that song me. that song for some re- for some reason don't know why I can't explain it
1: yeah
0: um but yeah yeah there, Here, there I, are songs like, yes. like
1: that
0: yes like that
1: Okay, so we're talking about acoustic guitar, though, in Worship. We haven't even gotten to Shane and Shane.
0: Shane and Shane. Wow. Yeah. I mean,
1: if you want to hear some incredible acoustic guitar playing, uh, the Psalms album, Yes. uh, my pick off that is Unto You. If you want to challenge yourself to do a triple strum, that's the song. Got
0: it. (laughs) That's (laughs) the song. I will will listen this week.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. The the acoustic on that. If you guys don't know Shane and Shane... Please, especially their old old stuff, like a ton of that acoustic guitar. Shane Bernard is a phenomenal acoustic guitar player. I mean, just fantastic. And my husband plays acoustic guitar. He loves Shane Bernard, and so we, you know, we listen to a lot of their stuff. We love Shane and Shane. But I got to see them live once, and he, I mean, it's legit. Like he plays it all. Yep. It's <laughs> it's, it's intense and sings. I mean, he's. They're, he's a phenomenal musician, but yeah, unto you off. I think it was the Psalms album.
0: They, they were at one day, weren't they? Did we see them at one day? I think so. Yeah. 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 I just, I remember like there were band after band after band. Yeah. And then just these two dudes who looked like they just been camping out behind the stage, just came walking out. Yep. And just (laughs) crushed it on a a little acoustic duo. (laughs) I
1: was like, dude, that guy sings higher than I do. That's wild.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there uh, was it the worship initiative was that there. Yes, so it had so many good arrangements. Yes, of uh, of they worship excel, music. They
1: excel, I think, at arranging. I mean, they write their own stuff too. They've got a single out. I just heard on the radio. That's great. Yeah. But they excel at arranging stuff um they've got a whole all these songs we're talking about from like the 90s early 2000s they've got albums full of covers of all of these old songs yeah which are phenomenal
0: they're so good i loved their cover of oceans and their cover <sighs> of beautiful things yes. were just fantastic amazing yeah. uh last one i have uh this is by phil wickham and it is from Ooh. his album uh called sing along Two. okay uh, it's a live cut of spirit of the living god Ooh, i don't know what Tuning his guitars in, uh drop D flat something probably, <laughs> and it is the you could hear the looseness of the strings, yeah, and he's just they're droning, and his voice is just it's hitting impossibly oh. high Phil Wickham notes, right? Um, and but in between all of it, he's really exploring the fretboard, and he's really doing a lot there. Um, it is probably one of my favorite. Just if I have a really a really good sound system set mm-hmm, up it's mm-hmm. one of my favorites to play because it just it takes up the spectrum of sound with between his voice and the acoustic guitar but yeah, yeah Phil. Wickham's, he's, he's one of those guys guy.
1: I, I feel like you forget that he's a really talented musician mm-hmm. um because you get focused on his voice right. right and you forget and he's a phenomenal piano player too and okay. so he's just very he's very talented
0: yeah that's
1: a good pick. I actually haven't heard that song, so I'm gonna yeah, go look it's that good.
0: Up. It's good. What you got?
1: Um, I would say my my last one, which as you mentioned, there are a lot of acoustic versions of a lot of songs. Uh, my last one that I picked actually is um, Whole Heart, which is another song United. Hold me now. Oh, yeah, the acoustic version of that. Oh man, that one just it's all it's just an acoustic guitar and a piano and super tight three-part harmony and that is one of my go-to if i need to get in my feels yep <laughs> but in a jesus way like that is one of my go-to songs
0: i'm looking through sure. our list this is a feels list there's like a lot a there's, a, there's, a, there's a there's a lot on this list <laughs> And so, fortunately for our listeners, we will have a link to a Spotify playlist featuring our list of the top 10 acoustic driven worship songs of all time. This is the definitive list. No one else is allowed to have an opinion (laughs) on it. But if you do have an opinion on it and you'd like to let us know what your top 10 or even just one of the songs you thought that we missed,
1: yeah, what did we miss?
0: Yeah, drop it into the comment section in a very polite and nice way. (laughs) Have polite discourse with everyone else. Remember and that uh,
1: Jesus is reading the chat.
0: Yes. We look forward to reading uh, all of your uh, your comments. Carissa, this has been fantastic. So, so thank you for being on the Big Church Van podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. This has been a blast.
0: Thank you to our guest, Carissa Motley, for being on the program today. Thank you to producer Chucky P for helping us through all of the logistics and editing for getting this podcast off the ground. Thank you, dear listener, for granting us a little bit of your attention today and listening to us discuss the American evangelical experience. I'm Robert Reynolds. This has been the Big Church Fan Podcast.